Let me tell you what uh, I hope will happen for you this week. I hope this week that you will be able to spend some time where your heart can be at rest. Spending time with family and friends as you get together for Thanksgiving. And uh, my desire for you is that would be a restful, peaceful time. But the reality is this. There is a but, isn't there? The reality is this. For some, getting together with people around this time of year can be more stressful than it is restful. If we're being honest. See, we all need that environment. We, we need a place where we can let our guard down. We need a place where, you know, you know you won't be judged if you eat too much turkey and need to take a nap after Thanksgiving meal. You know, a place where you can just be yourself, where you can open your heart. Uh, we need that. And, and I hope that, that you're able to find that. But if you don't have that in your family, and if this week isn't that week for you, I'm sorry for that, but I do have good news for you, and that is that we can all find a place of rest in God. Our hearts can rest in Him, and that's what we're going to jump into and, and, and read about together as we continue on in the book of 1 John today. 1 John chapter 3, we left off in 18 last week, and so we'll jump in with verse 19 today, and it says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So what is it that usually keeps our hearts from being at rest? It's when something isn't right relationally, isn't it? I think we've all experienced that before. Maybe there is outright conflict with somebody, or maybe it's just a little bit of tension. It's not anything maybe too major. But if something isn't quite right in the relationship then our hearts aren't really at rest when we're with that person, right? And the flip side of that is true as well, that if things are right in the relationship and you're, you're around those people that love you in spite of how weird you are, right? And you know that and, and you don't have to worry about that. There's rest that comes from that. And so it's the relationship. Notice that verse 19 says that it says that this is how we know that we belong to the truth, how we set our hearts at rest the last little phrase, in his presence. That phrase is key here. Our hearts at rest in his presence, meaning that things are right relation, relationally between us and God. So here's the first thing I want to point out to you today is that a restful heart requires a right relationship. A restful heart requires a right relationship. If our hearts are going to be at rest before God, then we need a right relationship. But the, the opposite of that is true, too, because has there ever been something that wasn't quite right in your life between you and God? Maybe it was before you became a believer. Maybe it was after coming to know Christ, but something just wasn't quite right, and you're in the presence of God. Maybe that's through a church service. Maybe it's just even being in the presence of godly people, and there's a little bit of uncomfortability there, right? It's like, oh, I'm just not quite 
feeling right here, we can't be completely at rest if the relationship isn't right. But if the relationship is right, isn't it amazing how being in the presence of God brings rest? Even if you're exhausted, even if you're, you're stressed out, even if life is falling apart, being in God's presence still gives us an internal rest. And that's what we strive for. The relationship needs to be right. But I want you to notice that, that he connects this at the beginning there in verse 19. He connects our hearts being at rest with knowing that we belong to the truth. Did you notice that? This is how we know that we belong to the truth, that our hearts can be at rest in his presence. Knowing that, that we belong to the truth is speaking to confidence in our relationship. Or maybe another way of saying that is this, knowing that we are children of God, right? Knowing that, that we're saved, knowing that we belong to him. And we need to know that in order to be at rest in his presence. If you struggle with whether or not you absolutely know for sure that you are a child of God, I want to tell you this, that you're not alone in that struggle. That's what my experience tells me and countless conversations that I've had with people. Um, you're not alone. One of the things that you probably have picked up on, if uh, you've been around here for a while, if you're new to Gateway, you may not know this, but um, I believe wholeheartedly in the importance of being transparent. So wh whenever I'm, I'm teaching from God's Word, I like to share just very openly, you know, this is how this applies to me uh, in areas that are struggles. I, I share those struggles because I think it's important to know that you're not alone, and if you are struggling, that it's okay. Uh, even those who are seeking to grow spiritually still will have struggles sometimes. So I like to be very transparent and very open, and I want to do that today on this topic. Uh, and I hope that what I have to say is not discouraging, because here's my transparency today. This is one area where I don't struggle, and I, and I want to tell you why. I don't say that to say, if you do, shame on you. I, I share that with you to say, let me tell you why I don't struggle in this area. And a lot of it goes back to uh, the time when I was a, a, in high school, a teenager. I came to faith in Christ and, and decided to commit my life to him. And at that point, I, I didn't have much Bible background at all, but I made a conscious de decision at that point. I'd done enough you know, research and figuring out what do I believe. It wasn't just a, you know, totally taking something blind that somebody else had taught me, but I, I believe that there was enough evidence there to say, yeah, this this gospel makes sense, and I made a decision that I would commit myself to believing and living by God's word as much as I possibly can, okay? So that, that was a conscious choice. I want to think biblically, and God gave me a hunger for the Bible, for his word, and to learn it and to apply it to my life, and so um, all that to say, that has been a foundation in my life for a long time now is if God says something, then that settles the issue for me. Now, granted, there are plenty of issues that are gray areas when it comes to Scripture, right? There are some things that are just not clearly black and white types of issues. And that's really not a bad thing because what that does is it forces us to lean on the Holy Spirit. It forces us to pray and, and seek wisdom and maybe search out other scriptures to figure that out. So that's not always a bad thing. But sometimes there are certain issues that the Bible speaks to so clearly that for me and my simple mindset, it's like, that's just case closed. 
And this is one of those for me. And I'll share with you why uh, that is in, in, in one of the verses um, that, that clarifies that in just a moment. But look again at verse 20 because I think this is, this is really important for us to grasp. In verse 20 it says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts condemn us, what, what do you think that means? I've wrestled with this phrase, and it seems to be just as straightforward as, you know, as it first appears. But I've thought through this phrase a lot uh, recently. If our hearts condemn us. And the conclusion that I've come to is what he's saying here is, if, this is speaking to self-condemnation. This is speaking to that, that, that uh, experience that probably all of us have had at one point or another, where we begin to question ourselves. Our hearts condemn us this is that voice that says oh if you really were a child of God then you wouldn't act like that or you wouldn't have said this or you would have this assurance or you would feel this way our hearts can condemn us but what does he say if our hearts condemn us God is greater than our hearts in other words what God has to say is more important than condemnation that I, that I may feel internally God is greater than our hearts. So let's skip ahead and let me share one of those just real um, clear, straight to the point kinds of passages that is the reason why I don't wrestle with this question of whether or not I belong to God. Let's just jump ahead to chapter 5, verse 11. And it says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now that to me is about as straightforward as it can get. It says that whoever has the Son has life and that, that life is in the Son. It's only in the Son, by the way. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one qualified to be our Savior. He is the only person who has ever lived a sinless life. And as a result of that, Jesus, when it came to the end of his life, did not have to pay the penalty for his own sins because he didn't have any of his own. And so that qualified him as this perfect sacrifice that God required in order to cover sin, Jesus shed his own blood and became our sacrifice for sins because he was qualified to do that. He alone was qualified. Nobody else was. Jesus alone died for our sins. Jesus alone rose from the dead in victory over our sins. And so Jesus is qualified to become our Savior. That's why it says eternal life is in the Son. And it emphasizes if you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. And he's talking about a relationship with him there. But again, verse 13. Let me just read this one more time. If you have the Son, then what does that mean? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I mean, call me a simpleton, but I'd read that and I'm like, that, that's pretty simple, Right? That's kind of a, okay, case closed. The Bible says that if I have Christ, I have life, and that, that if I believe in his name, 
And that word believe means to put faith in, not just to you know, believe up here, but to trust in him. If I have repented of my sins and I put my trust in Jesus, I believed in him and him alone for salvation, then I can have life and I can know it. And I don't have to doubt it ever again. Now, trusting Jesus is one of those things that, you know, it, it's, it's a one-time decision, but it's an ongoing thing that we do daily thereafter. It's kind of like, kind of like a wedding ceremony. You say, I do once, but you continue to pour into the relationship day after day moving forward. We trust in Christ once, and we are born into his family. We're reborn spiritually, and then we build on that relationship from that point forward. So, says we can know. But then if you go back, let's go back to, to our main passage in 1 John 3. And by the way, we'll be flipping back to chapter 5 a little bit today, back and forth, because these things connect really well. But I'm back in chapter 3 again, verse 24. It says, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know, we know it by the spirit he gave us. So an additional way that we can have assurance and confidence that we belong to God is by the spirit that he gave us. In other words, this idea that the spirit inside of us bears witness to that. And in Romans 8.16, that's exactly what he's getting at. Uh, Paul wrote this and says, The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So an, a, another layer of assurance comes from the testimony of the Holy Spirit in us that assures us that we belong to him. But I want you to listen really carefully to what I'm about to say. Don't base your assurance of salvation primarily on the witness of the Spirit in you. And here's why. Because sometimes we can miss what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Going back to what he said earlier about our hearts condemning us. What if our hearts are condemning us and that voice of condemnation that is coming from our hearts is, is, is kind of um, overwhelming the testimony of the Holy Spirit inside of us? Another way of thinking about it is like this. Um, I was thinking about how you, know, you get noise-canceling headphones. If any of you have those, it's pretty fascinating to me how that works. I mean, you put on noise-canceling headphones, it's like things just kind of go away. And it's pretty wild, and so I, that kind of piqued my curiosity, by the way. I'm like, how does that work? And so I, I did a little research and, and looked online, and I'm not sure I really understand what's going on, but there was some discussion about, you know, wavelengths and all this kind of stuff, and there was a, there was a little image. In fact, I think we have that image put up on the screen here. Something like, I don't know if this will mean anything to you or, or, or not, but basically when, when one kind of is at a lower point, if the other one is at a higher point, they kind of cancel each other out. So there's a built-in microphone on a noise-canceling headphone, and when a certain sound comes in, it does kind of the inverse of that, best I can understand, and it, it's kind of like a, taking a positive and a negative, and that makes a zero, right? That's the idea, best I can understand. It's kind of over my head. But, but I know that they work, and I know that when we have noise-canceling headphones, we don't always hear everything that's coming in. And the same thing is true for us spiritually. Sometimes we don't even realize it, but we have noise-canceling headphones on, and the Holy Spirit might be attempting to give us assurance of salvation or bear, bear testimony to that, but we're not hearing it. Does that make sense? And that's why I say let's not base our, our assurance of salvation on feeling a certain way or having this, this certain assurance of the Spirit inside of me. That's, that's gravy. That's a good extra bonus. But let's let the foundation be 
what the Word of God says. And so even if my heart is condemning me, let me go back to what I said a minute ago, God is greater than our hearts, I can go to Scripture that says, no, if I have the Son, I have life. And if I believe in the name of the Son of God, then I can know that I have eternal life. And so that really does settle the issue for us. Now, once we, once we settle that, then we can be at rest in His presence, right? We can have a, a restful heart in His presence. A restful heart requires a right relationship. But then I also want you to see that a right relationship leads to answered prayer. A right relationship leads to answered prayer. It says, we receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. So if our hearts don't condemn us, back in verse 21, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. And then goes on to talk about you know, receiving answer to prayer. So what does that mean? What does it mean when it says we receive from God anything we ask? And it tells us why, doesn't it? It says the reason we do, verse 22, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now, this is getting exciting, right? You mean if I do what God says, if I keep his commands and do what pleases him, then that means God's going to give me whatever I want. That's what it says, right? And so as long as I, you know, am, am kind to people, you know, maybe go to church regularly, you know, give a little money to God, say a prayer before I eat my food, read my verse for the day on my phone. You know, as long as I do some of the basic things that God says I'm supposed to do, maybe volunteer in the preschool. I mean, that's really extra bonus points when you do that. As long as I'm doing that, then let the Christmas list begin, right? I can just ask God for whatever I want, and he's going to give it to me. Eh, not so fast. That's, that's not exactly what he's saying here. God is, is not a Santa Claus. But what he is saying here, and if we continue on in verse 23, he says this, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. What he's saying is this, yes, obeying his commands is what opens the door for answered prayer. But he says, but his command is to believe in Jesus. You see, it's about relationship. It's, it's not about checking the box. It's not about if I do this and this and this, then God's going to give me what I want. The point that he's trying to make here is that if we are in right relationship with God, if we are believing and trusting in him, then our priorities are going to line up with God's priorities. And so the things that, that, that we ask are, are going to be in alignment with him. And, and his commands, again, to get some, some further insight if we skip ahead to chapter 5, if you're still in 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, in fact, this is love for God. Okay, so what does love for God look like? To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is our victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. See the emphasis there on, on faith and on uh, you know, love for God being keeping his commands that is motivated by a relationship. He says that is not burdensome. Isn't it amazing how the nature of a relationship determines whether something seems burdensome or not? I don't know about you, but especially when I was younger, I did not like riding in the car for long periods of time. That, that was always burdensome to me as a kid. And I remember this kid going on, you know, we, we would go to Fort Worth fairly regularly as a, as a child. And I just remember it was just, oh, we got to drive to Fort Worth. It was like 
25 minutes in the car, you know. And I do look back and I laugh now, but seriously, that was like, oh man, that's so long to be in the car, right? And then I, I, I went away to school and uh, went down to Waco, as most of you have to hear about far too often. And, and uh, that was about an hour and a half drive from Arlington, where I grew up, to go. And I just remember thinking, oh man, it's such a beating to drive an hour and a half to go away to school. Now again, looking back on that and having one daughter that's five and a half and one that's about three and a half away at school, I'm like that hour and a half seems really, really good now. But I didn't like to drive. Well, you put that on top of uh, what my plans were one summer. So the, the, the summer after my junior year at Baylor, I um, got the opportunity to have a job as a summer youth intern. One of the interns at the church where I was in Arlington got a job in Melbourne, Florida, and invited me to come out and be the youth intern for the summer in Melbourne, Florida, 1,172 miles from my home in Arlington, Texas. And I was excited about it. And so I got in the car, my little Mazda RX-7 that I drove by myself. I'm looking back, I'm like, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable with my kids doing that. But I drove myself that 1,172 miles from Arlington to Melbourne, spent the summer there in Melbourne and, and really suffering for Jesus, doing things like playing volleyball with kids on the beach, you know, I mean, just really hard work that I had to do. Now, there's more, a lot more to youth ministry than just that, but, but it was a great experience, and I, and I just fell in love with those kids and the church family that was there, and then the Sunday night, the last Sunday before I was to leave and come back, they actually gave me the opportunity to preach in the Sunday evening service because, you know, not many people went on Sunday night, so it was kind of a safe thing to do, let the young guy preach on Sunday night, and so I did, and I don't remember much about the sermon. I'm quite sure it was awful, but I do remember that after that, that was just a confirmation for me. I, I, I really felt like God was leading me to go into ministry. But after preaching that Sunday night, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Someday, you know, I really feel like that's the door God's going to open for me. And so, wrapped things up there, said some tearful goodbyes to the, both adults and youth that I'd grown to love very much in a short period of time. And it was time to get in the car and make that 1,000 plus mile drive once again. But let me tell you, this time I wasn't dreading it. This time I, I wasn't so upset about getting in the car for a very long drive. In fact, I got an idea. I was highly motivated and I decided I'm going to get up really early in the morning. And rather than doing like I did on the way to Melbourne, and that is spending the night about halfway breaking up the drive, I'm going to make the entire 16-hour drive straight through in one day because I was motivated. I wasn't driving back to Arlington that day. No offense, mom and dad, I loved you then, I love you now, but I wasn't going back home. I was driving to Stafford, Texas, because there was this really cute brunette there that I happened to fall in love with the semester before I went away to Melbourne. She had come to see me at one point while we were there, which, by the way, one of our favorite memories, I'll tell you the story later sometime, is uh, we had a candlelight dinner on the beach on a uh, card table with people just walking all around us and we're there having our, our sweet little romantic dinner. It was really fun. But I was highly motivated to get back because I wanted to see the one my heart loved. That was my motivation. And, and when your motivation is to be with the one that you love, suddenly the things that, that, that we have to do aren't so burdensome anymore. Why? 
is it that we are to obey God and that, that his commands aren't burdensome? Same reason I was so excited to see Sean. It's because when we love God, we have a desire just to, to, to be with him. It's not about the stuff that we have to do. It's about the relationship. And we're willing to go to extreme lengths when we truly love somebody. So, back to chapter 5. Verses 14 and 15. Again, give us some insight here. When he's talking about God answering our prayer and, and what happens when the relationship is right. Verse 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. See, the key phrase here is this, this phrase, according to his will. That sheds some light on chapter 3, verse 22, where it says God will give us anything we ask. Well, what he's saying here is if we ask anything according to his will, and if our hearts are in the right place, and if our relationship is right, then suddenly the things that we desire are the things that God desires. And if we do ask anything according to God's will, we can have confidence that we have received what we ask of God. Best example that I could give you of that was a prayer that I wore God out with for more than a decade. And that is, after coming to faith in Christ, um, I began to pray for my brother, Grant, who wasn't a believer at the time. And um, he, um, you know, when he graduated from college, got a good job and uh, was one of those guys who's a good guy uh, and was doing well in work. He's a little bit older than me. He's three years older than me. We look a lot alike, so he's a really good looking guy. <laughs> but he got a job and was, you know, was, was doing great, but um, didn't know the Lord. And that was important to me. That had become you know, my priority in life. And I just remember wearing God out with that prayer. Uh, just praying that God would draw Grant's heart to him. And uh, prayed that over and over and over again. So much so that I started having recurring dreams that he had become a believer. And then I would wake up and just be so disappointed because I'd realize it was a dream. It wasn't real. And, and, and I did it so often. Have you ever done this before? That in the middle of the dream, I realize that I'm dreaming again because this is the same thing. It's like I figure it out in the dream that this isn't really happening. Well, so fast forward, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years or so. He had gone overseas and uh, worked for a few years overseas. And he'd come back and, and, and uh, we had a conversation when he came back and I'll never forget him sharing with me. Uh, he said something he wanted to tell me about. And he said this. He said, you know, I, I always felt like I wasn't good enough for God. But then I realized that's what God's grace was for. And God answered that prayer of drawing his heart and put some people, including his wife now, into his life that would draw him toward himself. But um, you know, I, I share that as an example to say, there was no doubt in my mind when I was praying, God, draw his heart toward you, that God would answer that prayer. Now, I think it's important to say this. There is no absolute assurance that when you pray for someone who's far from God, that that person will end up committing their life to Christ. Because we do have freedom to choose. We, we can reject that drawing. What you can know for sure is that God will draw. 
God will work, right? Because here's what I know is that as much as I wanted Grant to have a relationship with Christ, I know that God wanted to have a relationship with him even more than I wanted that for him. And so there was no doubt that God would, would respond to that prayer and would work uh, in response to that prayer. So when our priorities are aligned with God's priorities, we can have incredible confidence knowing that, that, that we will receive what we ask of him. So a right relationship leads to answered prayer because that right relationship um, puts us in a place where God, who the Bible tells us, is a father who loves to give good things to his children, where he is able to do that because uh, our priorities are where they need to be. So let me conclude by, by just asking you a couple of important questions in line of, with what we talked about today. First one is this. Do you know for certain that you belong to Jesus? We've been talking about having this assurance, right? This assurance that we know that we belong to him. Do you absolutely know for certain that you belong to Jesus? And if the answer is no, or there's maybe some hesitation or some doubt, we can resolve that today. In fact, let me just encourage you with this. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Sometimes we outthink ourselves with this kind of stuff, right? And we think we've got to have all the answers figured out. Listen, you don't have to know every answer to every theological question. You don't have to have everything figured out on the front end in order to say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus. And, and just let that be enough to say this is, this is a simple decision. Don't make it harder than it has to be. And don't talk yourself out of this simple choice of saying yes to Christ. So that's the first one. Do you know for sure that, that you belong to him. And the second one is this, is, is your relationship with him causing your prayers to line up with God's desires for you? Do you know for sure that you belong to him? And then is your relationship putting you in a place where your prayers are being answered because they line up with God's desire? I believe we'll see God doing things in our lives when we are asking things according to his will. And when we don't see God at work, you know, sometimes the answer is no, but, but it ought to at least make a step back and evaluate, am I, am I praying for the right things? Are my desires where they need to be? And maybe for some, the decision today is not, I need to trust in Christ, I've already done that, but it's, I need to realign my priorities today to make sure that my heart is where it needs to be so that I'm asking the right things of God. So I want us to pray together. We're going we're gonna to just, whichever of those two it may be, a decision to, to say yes to Jesus or a prayer to say, God, help me to make sure that, that my priorities are in right alignment. Whichever of those is, let's, let's pray together. Let's bow our heads for prayer. And I do want to offer an opportunity if you don't know for sure that you've trusted in Christ and have settled that issue, just to pray a prayer like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I, I do believe that I am sinful and I need you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the dead. And I'm putting my trust in you and you alone right now. I give my heart to you today. And I pray that you would give me assurance that I belong to you. And I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.